I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. Are you saving for retirement? While it can seem daunting and like it's really far away, it's actually critically important to get started as early as possible. Joshua Winterswike from RPA Wealth Management talks all about saving and investing. He breaks down the options for self-employed individuals and how to have a long-term mindset around money. He also shares a holistic approach to managing your risk and assets. Now, because we are going to be talking about money and investing, I do have a disclosure here to read out. Advisory services are offered through RPA Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Content provided for informational purposes only. It should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. A professional financial advisor should be consulted before implementing any investment strategy. Now, let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. Excited to talk about uh, getting started for uh, retirement. So again, my name is Joshua Winterspike, and I am a certified financial planner. Um, and I work for a financial planning company called RPA Wealth Management in Southern California. Um, and I'm also one of the CFP professionals on the Retirement Plan Playbook podcast. I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about what financial planning is. So for you, kind of in that world, what does financial planning mean? That's a great question. So financial planning is really the process of creating a plan for a particular goal or your future um, in your financial life. So a lot of people correlate financial planning with just investments, like what type of stock mutual fund retirement account I need. But there's also a lot of questions that go with picking investments, which is what type of tax implication does it have? What's the best for me and my family at my income level? I'm planning to purchase a home. What is the affordability that I have? So all of those questions that come with financial life um, are part of that financial planning process of building for your future. Mm. So really taking a lot more holistic approach of looking at where you are right now and using, you know, looking at the financial aspect and going, now, how do I move forward or how do I actually reach these goals? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as it became a lot more popular in the last, I'd say, 15, 20 years, because really planning for your future became more of your responsibility, especially if you're a small business owner, like I know a lot of your audience is. Um, so, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago, even pensions were around a lot more. A lot of people, you know, worked for the same employer for 35, 40 years, and the employer basically kind of built their future um, through a pension plan or something like that. So the more that those have gone away just because of the financial climate and uh, they're just very expensive, more people, you know, actually rotating jobs more frequently or becoming small business owners and working for themselves. All of that financial planning is now the responsibility of the individual, not necessarily the company you work for. So financial planning has just become a lot more popular. Yeah, yet another hat that we get to wear and things we have to worry about. But it's super important, right? Because we don't want to look up in 20, 30 years and go, uh, I, don't, I don't have a plan at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. And you, like, great point with like 20, 30 years, time is your best friend um, when you're starting this journey. I mean, mm-hmm. the earlier you start, the better it's going to be for you. Right. So just on the things that you consider with financial planning, what role does something like insurance play in a financial plan? Insurance is very important. And and the reason why I say that is because building wealth um, is the first thing that kind of comes to mind when we're talking about financial planning. Um, But 
insurance is just equally as important of protecting your wealth. So a lot of people take the really good steps of getting started, building wealth. And as that grows, whether if it's through advancements of jobs, business just takes off, we get married, we're combining incomes. We for kind of forget to really look at the insurances, increase the limits on the insurances or the policy amounts to be relative to the amount of wealth you've built. So, you know, this can go five, 10, 15, 20 years without ever reviewing insurance policies. And it could be actually pretty detrimental to your financial plan if you didn't plan appropriately in regards to insurance. All right, well, so yeah, it's, it's about looking at the protections, what you have in place, and then like also assessing how much risk are you willing to take on? I'm sure assessing risk is a big part of the, at the individual level, as you look at this financial plan. Yes, absolutely. Assessing risk is a big part. Um, because again, you don't want to lose everything you've built as far as like your hard work, your time to an unfortunate event. And um, insurance can be that protector. Um, and it can help alleviate a lot of that risk that we can't calculate. You know, it, it isn't something that we can control. So implementing um, a solution to kind of combat um, the uncontrollable is advisable, especially if building wealth is important to you. Well, and you talk about doing a review and looking at this stuff. How often should we be going back and looking at our plans or looking at our current financial state? I mean, financial plans, I would say you need to be looking at probably anywhere from quarterly to even semi-annually. Insurance policies, what we like to recommend is every year, um, just because things change, right? Even laws change regarding insurance and investments and taxes. So I'd say the more often you review it, probably the better. Um, Sometimes there is no change though. You might not see any change or recommendation that comes with the review. Um, But I think that the more often that you review it, the better. Well, yeah, you're right. You stay on top of things. You stay on and you catch those things that change in your life. If you got mm-hmm. married that quarter, if you had a kid that quarter, if you took on another car, or like you said, you want to start having and looking towards purchasing a home, like that, all that stuff changes pretty quickly. And if you have no idea what else is going on, you're not making a, a sound financial decision at that point. Sure. And I can give an example of that. Let's just even talk about life insurance. I mean, let's say your income increases. One general rule of thumb for life insurance is a multiplier of your income. So, you know, you say you make 50,000 a year, now you're making 100,000 a year. That should be a trigger event that says we should now be reviewing the insurance policies as well because there was a financial change. You talk about the different aspects here of protecting our our wealth and our finances and then the building of the wealth. When it comes to building things and building the wealth for us, what what options do we have as small business owners that, that maybe we're not familiar with or are different than somebody who's a typical W-2 employee for another company? Sure. That's a great question. So um, mo- take it back to W-2 employees. Pretty simple. A lot of times the employer is going to start a plan for you, but as a self-employed individual, you do have a couple different options. But I'd like to kind of take a step back, if you don't mind, first and and really establishing as we're building wealth, making sure we have an adequate emergency savings account. I can't really stress how important that is. Um, Just with the, the comfortability of investing, starting a financial plan, with every 
prospect friend family member that asked me about you know starting a financial plan it starts with an emergency savings account and i just can't stress enough um that how important that is and typically we you know suggest anywhere from 3 to 12 months of living expenses to be in a cash emergency savings account uh for those short term unexpected sure and i know that amount can be kind of uh, <laughs> mind blowing when people think you only have um, twelve months of living expenses just sitting there, but but what are the benefits of that? Like what uh, that that we can have when we have that kind of cash sitting around, not sitting around, right? But it's it's there locked away for us. What? Why is having that emergency fund so important and critical? Because as you take the next step to let's say building wealth or or investing. It's going to give you that cushion for any short-term emergency that might arise that is an unexpected expense. Even give an example of just a short-term income loss within the household or uh, just a injury, right? Where you, uh, you like to snowboard and you get hurt and now there's a loss of income because you're self-employed. Uh, this is going to get you through those times of the short-term need, uh, potentially a, a short-term disability, unexpected, even if it's for you know a roof on a house. Um, But then that way, as you take the next step to building an investment plan, you're not having to dip into those investments to actually cover any short-term emergencies. So that makes us more comfortable with investing because we know our short-term emergencies are covered. Again, going back to that risk and making sure we can cover those because another thing, you know, it's just simple things like being able to afford an unexpected medical bill, right? We're out walking dogs, we fall and we crack our wrist or we fracture an elbow or something like that. And now all of a sudden that's a medical bill that we've got to cover. Instead of being stressed about that, dipping into credit cards or going into debt to cover that, we can use our medical insurance that we have because we've got that covered. And we can cover above and beyond that with this with this emergency fund that we can go and put in that. And we can keep, again, like you said, we have peace of mind at that point to go and take some of these bigger risks. So with the with that emergency fund, that, that is just cash, right? That's just sitting in a boring humdrum savings account. I'm not doing anything fancy with that. Nope. That's just sitting in cash. You can, you know, look at other options for cash. There's online savings accounts that have a little bit higher yields out there. Um, but yes, uh, it's still not exciting. Um, it's still just a boring cash account. <laughs> have you heard of Time to Pet? Claire from Acton Critters Editors has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software in the new year, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confession. So let's say we've got that three to 12 months, we've assessed our risk and we've got that sitting there and we're ready to start investing as a business owner. What, where, where do I start looking for my options? Sure. Um, well, the first you can look at is just a regular brokerage account. This is like a savings account, but you're allowed to actually invest in this brokerage account. Now, these you can fund this account with after-tax dollars. And what that means is that the money that's going into this account has already been taxed. Um, so really, the only thing taxed within this account is going to be the, the actual earnings you get from investing. Um, so really, the, the difference, as I start to talk about a few of these different accounts, is going to be taxed. So the first one, just a regular brokerage account. 
account. This is just a regular investment account that you can put money in. Um, you can take money out without any sort of um, surrender fee or uh, regulation behind it. Um, it's just ma- mainly tax that's the concern. Now, that is an account that can be tied to a retirement goal. It could just be for a, a future goal that you have in 5, 10, 15 years. I want to buy a boat. Um, it's not necessarily titled as retirement. It's just that basic investment account. Now, as you look into different types of investment accounts, there are ones that are specific for retirement. A lot of times we talk about 401ks. Those are actually plans that are sponsored by an employer, Um, but there's also IRAs. That's an individual retirement account and Roth IRAs. uh, And those are going to be a lot more simple for someone like who's just starting or a self-employed individual um, to start investing for the retirement that actually have some retirement tax benefits. Well, and you keep bringing taxes up. I know that's a big, a major part of managing our tax burden. How do I know if something's a good decision to invest in pre-tax dollars or not? And how do I how do I make that judgment call for myself? Or what kind of questions do you like to see people answer when it comes to tax now or tax later? Sure. Uh, well, assessing what your tax burden is now and projecting what your potential tax burden later is, is probably the, the best way to formulate that. But generally, I'll, I will just say a Roth IRA pre-tax or post or Roth IRA pro-tax, post-tax or an IRA pre-tax, both are great vehicles. I don't want to say that one's better than the other. Uh, you know, I'll just go out there and bank- blankly say that you really want to just start the process, right? You want to start investing. So they both have great benefits. It's really what seems also more attractive to you and what's more comfortable to you. Would you rather get the tax benefit now or or would you like to get the tax benefit later? That's really the question. Right. So look, kind of looking at where, where's my income right now and what tax level am I at? And then what, what income level do I expect to be retiring at? And what is my tax burden then? And kind of weighing those benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of people, while you're working, your tax burden is higher while you're working that it's potentially going to be in retirement. So in that scenario, you know, pre-tax account like an IRA would would be more beneficial, um, just generally speaking. Now, something that I've seen thrown out there a couple times is and, and heard about is something called a, a SEP um, for self-employed people. What, how does that factor into this mixture? So a SEP is a great vehicle as well. It is also a pre-taxed retirement account. Um, And this allows self-employed individuals to actually contribute more than a basic IRA account. It's actually potentially up to 25% of your net earnings from your self-employment income. So Right now, if if we're looking at just an IRA, you're allowed to put $6,000 a year into an IRA account. And if you're over 50, you get an extra $1,000 catch up to be able to put into there. But potentially with the SEP IRA, depending on where your income from your self-employment business is, you're up to, you're able to put up to 25% of that, uh, those earnings into the account each year. So it's a way to actually accelerate your contributions into the retirement account because you are a self-employed individual. So is that the only thing I need to qualify to open up a SEP is just prove that I am self-employed? 
Yes. And there's just a simple form you would need to fill out. Um, it's a gov- or IRS mandated form that you will um, sign up for. And then any real bank or brokerage would be able to open that SEP IRA up for you. So still pretty simple. I don't want to discourage anyone like, you know, we have to fill out a form for this. It, it isn't, you know, too complicated. Um, just with a quick Google search, I'm sure you could figure that out on your own. Um, and any bank or investment um, custodian would be able to open up that SEP. SEP as long as we can, you know, prove that you are self-employed. Um, and it is a way that you can contribute more than a traditional IRA. Sure. Now you've used a word describing both IRAs, Roth, brokerage, and, and SEPs. You've been calling them the vehicles for investment. Why, why is that? Because they are just the vehicle, really. It's not the engine um, for the vehicle. Uh, all of these accounts can be invested any way you like. So there's not a particular investment choice tied to these types of accounts. That's just what they are. They're just the type of account that they are. So you're able to actually, with any one of these accounts, get to choose the type of engine or investment that's actually going to go into these vehicles that's going to power um, the potential interest or earnings or growth within them. Right. So again, we can invest in other things and then kind of put them underneath this umbrella of this type of account that we're actually investing in. And that's, as you were saying, where the the tax considerations, where the contribution limits come into play and what we're able to do. Yep, absolutely. Right. Well, so when it comes to actually the engines, the engines of our investments, um, I, two big ones that come to mind are things like mutual funds and individual stocks. Uh, walk us through kind of the difference between those and why we would choose one or over the other. Sure. So individual stocks, uh, we're just owning one company. So you own one share, you can buy multiple shares of one particular company. Let's just take Apple, for example, they make iPhones. Um, we can go out into the public market and buy their stock and you can become a shareholder of that individual company. Now, owning individual stocks, though, are a more aggressive strategy. Again, you're you're not diversified, and I'm sure we'll kind of talk about that even further. But you can see that there's risk just within one organization. You can even buy a few different stocks, but still the risk is is high uh, when we're talking about owning individual stocks. Now, what a mutual fund does is is an actually a, a pool of money from many investors that invest in multiple securities or multiple stocks. So, you know, we just hear even what we do um, at RPA Wealth Management. We buy mutual funds that'll own over 10,000 different stocks. So you can see it's diversifying some of that risk than just owning a few or trying to pick a few winners. So a mutual fund is just a uh, consumer or a, you know, uh, consumer investor way to get more exposure and more diversified um, without having to go into the market and purchase 10,000 stocks uh, individually, which can seem kind of probably intimidating uh, for a new investor. Well, keep keeping track of those. Like you said, it is pretty intimidating. But again, if you invest in an individual stock and you put a dollar in that, you own a dollar of that stock. If you put a dollar in a mutual fund, they take that and they divide that out, given the proportions that make up that mutual fund into those individual ones. So like you said, you get access, you get exposure to a lot of different things. And it's a great way to get to see, um, kind of dip your toe in that water. Again, all about what risk are you able to take um, at your different life stages? So when it comes to something like a new earner or a new investor, should we be looking at more or less risky places or is that just more at an individual level what we're willing to take on? 
I think, you know, you can still be aggressive in owning a mutual fund. Like we're talking about a pool of money. They can still be pretty aggressive. So again, you know, owning an individual stock takes that aggressiveness even further. Um, (laughs) But it doesn't necessarily mean that if we're going to own a mutual fund that we're not aggressive, right? Because there can be more moderate or even conservative styles of mutual funds. I think, yes, it is individual. I'll take it back to financial planning though. I'll probably do that a couple of times um, um, within this podcast, Um, but actually knowing where you want to be, right? Setting those goals of what is this money actually being invested for? That should really be dictating the type of investments you're choosing. So before we go out into the market and say, okay, well, let's go buy an individual stock or let's go buy a mutual fund. Like, Really, what is this money I'm putting in here for? What is the time horizon? Ask myself, what is the the risk tolerance that I have? And then one important word that I like to use is is risk capacity is like, how much can I actually even afford to lose? I mean, that's a big part of like, you know, this developing an investment strategy is, can I even afford to lose this money? Um, And once we kind of answer those questions, that'll help better guide you to choosing the investment vehicles. Well, that's a really good point. If we are kind of late to the game, if we're 40s, 50s, in our 60s, we don't have a lot of risk capacity. I can't stand to lose 20, 30% of my investments because I don't have that time that we keep coming back to. I don't have time to recoup those (laughs) if the market dips. Now, if I'm younger, I might have a little bit more risk capacity. I might not want that risk capacity just at the personal level. So you may be more conservative with that. But again, looking at those at those mutual funds and going, okay, is this an aggressive one? Is this a not aggressive one? How, how, what do, are they going to fit my style and how I would actually want this to work? Yeah. And, and, you know, actually quantifying to what, what is the expectation you have to ask yourself, you know, what do I want from this investment choice and understanding, you know, even kind of how it performed in the past. And does that meet my expectation of how this is going to grow in the future? Yeah. I know when we set up our we a couple different accounts, we have we do have a retirement account. It has a different investment strategy, I guess, with the mutual funds we have in there than the accounts that we have that we're investing for our kids' college funds, because that's a much shorter time horizon uh, than our long-term retirement plans. And we don't need it to be really as aggressive because we're going to be dumping a lot more into that to get it there to where we want. So again, it's balancing everything out to meet your needs. Yeah, and I think you make a great point um, is really the money should be tied to the goal, right? We already kind of talked about that. Um, It it isn't all just one strategy or or one philosophy because again, we, we have different, you know, objectives for different pots of money, like you just explained. Um, And that can really dictate the investment choices for us. Now you said a a word a little bit ago that I know is pretty big in financial planning and, and learning about retirement investing is diversifying. What is what does diversifying mean to me as an investor? I'll start by saying it doesn't mean get more complicated. It, a <laughs> lot of times people take that word and, and it means, you know, I'm going to open up a bunch of different accounts or I'm going to make it more complicated. That is yeah. not what diversification means. Diversification means we're diversifying against, you know, let's say one particular risk, right? We're spreading our investments out. So we're not subject to one variable. Um, and we can do that simply now it, it, with the investment landscape that's out there. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, and this means that we're spreading out our money through an array of different type of stocks, 
It could be bonds, um, even commodities or real estate trusts um, are out there getting a little bit deeper into the investment kind of terminology. But again, taking that diversified approach will help actually with limiting the downside, which is also an important piece to growing your wealth. It's not just about growth. It's also limiting our losses. And diversification helps not only grow the assets, but also um, reducing the the drawdown of, of your investment portfolio as well. So to give one more example of that too, uh, a lot of people we see with investment portfolios, even when we meet with people is they might only be invested in the US. We can actually diversify globally as well when we're, we're picking investment choices. So the US market isn't even the only market that we can invest in. We believe in also diversifying globally. So actually investing in companies outside of the US as well. When it comes to that diversifying against risk, is there what what investment engines um, lie on that spectrum of low risk, like lowest of low risks, all the way up to the most high risk that we could get involved in? Um, so, really, when we're talking about low risk in investment portfolios, you're most likely talking about bonds. Bonds are are not talked about as much as stocks. They're just not as exciting. Um, they're like, you know, if you, you watch a football game, there's offense and defense, and we really like offense. We like rooting for points, um, but maybe not so much defense. Some people like defense and some people love bonds, um, but that's basically how we kind of correlate or an example of, of how bonds work in the portfolio. And they are slower going. They are more conservative. And then really stocks are going to be, individual stocks are going to be on more of that aggressive spectrum um, when we're talking about the difference between those two in, in an investment portfolio. Yeah. And I guess that comes into doing these quarterly and these, these periodic assessments to go, okay, how much has my, my risk changed? How much has my risk capacity changed? And then what's, what percentage really do I want or would I like to have in each of these buckets, depending on how things are going? Yeah, absolutely. And and if things haven't changed, the only thing that's changed is the news headline. Um, then we, you know, we might not be in a position to be reactive in making change to our plan or to our investment portfolios. That's really then not a reason to to do so if we were planning appropriately. Right. Well, I think that gets into another big topic is investing in, in discipline. Um, I know that I can get a little twitchy finger on buying or selling based on the latest headlines or based on the latest scare. How, how do we become better disciplined at at this uh, over over time? I think that the the best way to do that is is just trying to and being mindful of being emotionally consistent. Mm-hmm. Right? We know that when we're developing a plan. Um, we're, we're trying to focus on things we can control. We're trying to be proactive. Um, and really, there's so many variables that can change through the course of a plan or even through life. And we turn on the news and a lot of times it's negative and it, it's almost promoting us to, to be reactive. Um, and kind of really tuning that out is, is the best strategy, yeah. right? Um, tuning out even um, the noisy neighbor who made a bunch of money on uh, Microsoft stock 30 years ago. Like all of those things are just, you know, really trying to pull you away from the plan that you created. So leaning back on that plan, leaning back on what we've already talked about today, which is, you know, analyzing where you want to be 
your risk tolerance, your risk capacity. Those are those things and, and that are going to really keep you on track and stay disciplined because we don't want to be buying and selling like you explained. Um, we want to be sticking to our investment choices because we have found that that's going to be the best way to grow wealth. One thing that I will say about not being disciplined is you know, if you are trying to constantly buy and sell, you're having to be right twice each time you do that. Right, You have to be right when you're selling a stock or a security and then you also have to be right again when you buy it for buy it back or buy it um, in the future. And it's just really difficult to do. Um, we've seen it, you know, it's less than 20% um, of, you know, the best investors in the world actually beat beat the market returns. So we we really are up against it um, if we're trying to, you know, outguess the market or, or time the market. Um, and the the statistics prove that. Right. Well, it's keeping, again, that time horizon in, in view, too. It's, okay, well, maybe it went down 4% today, but over the last 10 years, it's gone up pretty consistently, and, and I've got 30 more years to, to sit on this and, and to kind of ride that out and just look at that average over time. And I know that really helps me whenever things start to dip or go down. It goes, okay, I'm, that's fine because I don't need that money right now. That money is for 30 years, 40 years down the line, and that, that's what I need to main, maintain focus on. Yep, absolutely. And if you have that emergency savings, it's even making you feel more comfortable because you know those short-term expenses are being taken care of. But time horizon is, you know, our best friend. Um, and we know we recovered. The market always has recovered. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about assessing our our risk and risk capacity as an individual and, and some of the the vehicles as a self-employed person, the, the IRAs, the SEP, you know, a simple brokerage account. And then we've also talked about some of the engines that we can use to fund this with mutual funds, bonds, or, or stocks. When it comes to the, the, the business owner, what other things do we need to be considering when we're looking at this financial plan? Well, really having an idea of what your net overall net worth is. So building a, a balance sheet, um, listing out all of your assets, not just the investment portfolios, but understanding the value of your business or your time, understanding the value of your home, and then also listing out all of your liabilities. Um, a balance sheet is a very simple way to it's really a snapshot of your your financial life, and that's really going to help you make better decisions going forward when you can actually see where you're at on an asset level, what your liabilities are, and how well is your net worth overall growing you know on a quarterly or annual basis without kind of that awareness it, it's a, it's pretty difficult to track you know really how well you're doing the investment portfolio for most people isn't the only asset that you have. So, you know, that that's going to help us guide not only cash flow, um, but just help us make better decisions financially um, as we grow. Yeah. Well, like you said, cover those liabilities too. And I think it is important that regardless of how much or how little you think you have to get that down in paper, because it's not the first time that's important that you write it down. Right. I, I know when Megan and I sat down 10 years ago, we were just newly married. And we did that. We sat down and we did, this is everything that, this is how much we're worth right now. And it was like, this is super depressing. I'm going to delete this page. <laughs> but what was, what was important was the second time we did that. Right? And then the third time we did that. And then the fourth time. And you see this trajectory. And sure, it goes up, it goes down, but we're looking at that trajectory and look at how we're doing. Going, ooh, uh, we just bought a house. We need to make sure our insurance uh, is okay to cover our liabilities now. Or, ooh, we just had another kid. We need to make sure our liabilities are covered a little bit no, no, different now. And it's just being aware 
and, and intentional about that. I think that's so important when it comes to this aspect is the intentionality of what we're doing and being aware of what we're trying to do years down the line. It's such a key word it is aware. I mean, just like you said, the consistency of continuing to be aware of where you're at, where you're headed, because it can be a little bit frustrating when you actually write it down, right? I mean, I think we've all been at that point when we're just starting out that says, we might even have a negative net worth. Let's just say we have student loans, right? We haven't really generated or built a lot of assets. So, you know, but I think that there's a lot to be taken from it as well to see yourself grow, then it's motivating. Um, and just that awareness will keep kind of that discipline, keeping us consistent, right? That we're talking about. So I think it's, it's all a, a good thing to, to take those steps. Our friends at Pet Perennials make it easy as one, two, three to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. They have this awesome direct client gift service that takes the effort off of us and ensures a thoughtful, personalized sympathy gift reaches your client or employee. All gift packages include a handwritten card, colorful gift wrap, and shipping fees across the U.S. and Canada. They also have an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards that can be sent to celebrate birthdays, extend get-well wishes, and welcome new and rescued pets. Additionally, there are gift choices in case you need to send a sympathy gift in memory of a special human client or celebrate pregnancy, engagement, or wedding of a pet lover. If you're interested, register for a free business account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices. The service is leveraged on an as-need basis, so there are no monthly or annual obligation or minimum purchases. To learn more, go to petperennials.com slash pages slash GPS and use the referral code PSC at registration to get a unique coupon code to save $2 off any package that you send in your first 90 days. Yeah, well, and we're, we're being consistent working towards that goal. And I know the, the big question on a lot of people's minds, especially when we're just starting out, is, is you know, we want to be able to retire one day. And we're, we're, we've talked through those vehicles and those engines. But everyone's always curious about that number. How do I know how much I need at the end of the day? And as, I know as small business owners, it can be kind of confusing because it's like, well, sometimes my business does really well and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I'm, it, it's kind of building this plane while it's flying mentality of like, I'm kind of making this up as I'm going along. So when it comes to thinking 30, 40 years down the line, at, how do we make sure we do a good assessment of what we'll need at that point? Sure. I think that the the first step that you need to take is determining really how much income or how much expenses you need to live off of right now and saying, you know, uh, I'm actually going to calculate on a monthly basis or even an annual basis of what I actually need to bring in to live the lifestyle that I want to live. Because really that number is different for everybody, right? A million dollars might be perfect for one person, but someone with a more expensive lifestyle, that's not going to actually be the number for them. But one way that that just really simple that we calculate that. And I'll give an example of this is we use what's called a 4% withdrawal rate from your investment portfolio to generate income. What I mean by that is let's just take um, an investment portfolio that grew over someone's life and it grew to $2.5 million. Um, And we know that the 4% withdrawal rate rule will generate $100,000 a year for about 25 years. So if you're looking for just a general, simple equation, um, this example will tell you, okay, well, if I know I want $100,000 a year when I retire, what will I need my assets to grow to, to generate that for me? We have that answer. That's 2.5 million. So you can use that rule. However, 
it relates to your expenses and your life and what you want to make. Um, but uh, that's just a simple way to kind of calculate what you might need individually. Yeah, I think it's really important, like you said, to start with what you need right now, right? And go, okay, how would I cover this today? And then also know that if these investments stay the way they're doing, you know, that that 4% rule, I can take 4% out every single year and that lasts me that, you know, 20, 25 years. If I continue to invest and they continue to earn, I might be able to withdraw more. But all those are all questions, again, that you you work on every single year to go, how how am I doing right now? What, what things are going on and, and what exactly, again, what, what lifestyle do I want to be able to lead at that time? And that's going to change, which means we're going to change the vehicles, which means we're going to change the engines. And that's all totally fine, too. And I think that was so important for, for Megan and I to remember of it's, it's not totally set in stone. I can, we can change this as our needs change. And that's really important to remember because, you know, if somebody's listening to this, they're going, I'm a 20-something. I'm single. I live in an apartment. I don't have any assets. I don't have any liabilities. I just started my business. What are you talking about a million dollars? I don't, that doesn't even, that seems crazy to me. Well, maybe not right now, but you can change and move that as your income increases and as your needs change, you can work towards that different goal. Yeah. And I think one, one saying that we use a lot in, in my office is financial pro- planning is a, a process, not a product, right? Mm-hmm. Continuously working on this is only going to lead to a better outcome. So, and, and a lot of it is just getting started, Colin. Really, I mean, you know, starting to grow that emergency savings and starting to invest. Some of these numbers might be, you know, bigger than we really think they need to be at this point. But like you said, continuing to work on it, we can get to those numbers that are our goals. Um, but just starting is, I think, the the, the best advice uh, out, out there. <laughs> it, it really is. And no matter how much that is, again, when I, I just go keep going back to just my own personal experience, when Megan and I started, we were in graduate school making, you know, peanuts and, and beans and rice, basically, is all our income was. But we were trying our best to set some aside. And I think some of those first initial times, it was, we're just going to put $25 into this account. And we're going to put $25 in the next time. And $25. And, and the reason we just needed to try and build that muscle of mm-hmm. what that felt like to us and yeah. get used to that process. And that's so important. And then the other aspect is, is that the earlier that you start, the more of a friend something like compound interest is to you. And the earlier you get started, you can have that working for you as well. Uh, so that, you know, it may be 10 years of that and then, you know, you're, you're off to the races. Yeah. Two things, uh, you know, just kind of comments on, on what you said is creating good habits, right? That's what I hear is, and that's what's going to be pivotal to, to success is you have to create those good habits. There's no magic pill out there to build wealth. Um, you know, it, it's going to take those, those good habits. Um, and if we don't start that early, you know, time is our best friend. Compounding interest is that idea of our money working for us. And the earlier you start that, the more benefit it's going to pay. Time, you know, Warren Buffett's one of the greatest investors um, really in, you know, our history. But look at how much time he's been investing. I mean, he's been investing for over 50 years. Um, and really, that's where his wealth generation, you know, um, took off was probably even on the backside of those 50 years, not necessarily even in the beginning. He started out just like us. Right, exactly. Everyone starts somewhere including us right now. So if we're looking at the world right now, and we talked about about discipline and, and just getting started, but the, the world can seem like a scary place and there's a lot going on right now. So is, 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 okay, is it okay to start right now or, or should I wait? I think that every day you wait puts you behind. 
Um, and especially if we're building for you know the long term and in, in your future. So is now a good time? It's a great time. Um, and just with the climate of everything that's going on, the headlines, you turn on the news. I mean, there's just so many reasons and variables out there that are probably delaying us from from getting started. But I'll, I'll even quote Warren Buffett. Um, one of his best quotes is: "Be fearful when others are greedy, and be greedy when others are feel fearful." And and really, you know, to me, what that means is right now there is a lot of fear out there. Um, let's take advantage of the opportunities um, when others are are fearful as an investor. I think it's a great quote for anyone kind of trying to find a reason to get started. <laughs> Again, yeah, exactly. Because we're looking at that time. We're trying to build those muscles. We know this is going to be good for us. We do have, we're just going to have to pick and get started on some day. And we can't predict what's going to happen in the future. Like, I don't know what the news lines or headlines are going to be tomorrow, uh, but I, I know what I need today. And that's where I need to start. Yeah, absolutely. Now, all of this can seem overwhelming to, to people, and it's a lot to take into account and plan 30, 40 years down the road. Is this something that we need a financial advisor or financial plan for, or, or can we do this a good portion of this on our own? I give the example of, of working out, right? You can Google, go online and, and find some workout videos. You can um, do create your own workout plan um, and build probably a pretty good plan to, to get in shape. Um, or you can also hire a personal trainer or you can even, you know, I'll, I'll use Peloton as an example as kind of a like electronic personal trainer, spend some more money to try to uncover even more value um, for whatever it is you're, you're trying to accomplish. I think that that's the same with, with financial planning and hiring a financial advisor. You can definitely do this on your own. It just depends on how much time you want to take to do the research and monitor um, all of that on your own and for your family. If that's not you, a financial advisor can uncover a ton of value um, for your situation. Uh, I truly believe that. Uh, there's just, you know, a lot of even just accountability to hiring a financial planner. We're talking about staying disciplined. Advice, a financial advisor will also help with that. Um, and just having a think partner. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I know I'm a financial planner, but I do believe that if you are more of that DIY personality, you can do this on your own. It is not impossible. It's just if you need that extra help, I mean, that's what our services are created for, right? Is to help people. Yeah. And I think that time is such a big deal of as business, as small business owners, we're doing a lot of other stuff. We're, we're running the business. We're putting out fires. We're hiring. We're going, doing visits. We're, we're busy, very busy during the day. And sometimes the last thing I want to do is sit down and open up our portfolio and go, okay, now what do we do now? Like that, that's, <laughs> that's, right. not, <laughs> that's yeah. not exactly where I find joy in life. Mm -hmm. and, and if this is one thing that you can offload and not offload, but you're still going to be intimately engaged with it. Again, that's the other thing about this. It's not like it's just going to disappear. You're still going to have questions. You're still going to be a good financial advisor is going to loop you in and ask questions and see for updates and see how things go so that you continually stay engaged with it, but maybe not worried about the day-to-day -day operations of it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that accountability, uh, but it is, again, a relationship with more of a think partner than it is, you know, you handing this off to someone and them taking care of it for you. Uh, so if we are interested in looking for a financial advisor, what, what things should we be looking for that makes a good one for us? Really, I would kind of just start with, you know, the internet's just a great, really great tool um, to, to finding financial advisors, but there's a couple different um, uh, 
actual resources out there. There's the fee-only network. We really believe that financial advisors who are fee-only um, are the way to go. And really what that means is that uh, they're only compensated by the clients that they help. There's no other conflicts of interest regarding commission. Um, so fee-only network is a great place to start. Um, and really when you're interviewing and you're doing your research for financial um planners or financial advisors is finding someone that's really understanding your goals and your objectives. Like even before you go into that interview, write them down um, and see if they're really what they're summarizing for you through that meeting is the same thing that you had in your mind, even going into that meeting, you know, someone that's going to take the time to really understand where you want to go um, is going to, in my opinion, going to give you that that best outcome. It's really just hard to give the best financial advice with without knowing what you want your future to look like. Yeah, well, and again, and knowing that this is someone that I'm going to possibly work with for the next thirty years. Uh, yeah, you got to so. like them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. They're they're there for those questions. They're there for that feedback, and they're there for for those things and those things that come up and are going to help guide you through that. So yeah, I, th- I also going to throw in at the end of the day, you you, you do have to like the person too. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Uh, Josh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and for walking us through what this process looks like to help us view and keep the long time horizons in mind and to walk us through some of the the, the jargon of what is accessible to us and what we can start doing today. And most importantly, like you had said, get started today if we haven't already and take a good look at this. But I know that this is a massive, massive topic and there's a lot going on out there. So um, how can people get in touch, follow along, um, find the podcast, uh, and start getting off on a, on a better financial footing today? Perfect. Yeah, we, our podcast is called Retirement Plan Playbook, and it, you can download that wherever you get your your podcasts. And um, we also stream it on our website, and our re- website is a great tool to kind of just learn more about us as well. Website's www.rpawealth.com. Um, and on there we have a free ebook you can even download. Um, that's retirement specific, uh, and also you can even schedule a complimentary consultation with us if you'd like to get to know us more as well. Um, so our website's a great tool. That'll be also where you can stream the podcast, but you can also download the podcast. Um, wherever you download them. And I, I do encourage anyone who's interested to, to check out our podcast. Um, we try to stay current with you know what's going on today, but then also um, really relate it to the individual's retirement plan. So um, definitely check us out. Perfect. Thank you so much, Josh. I'll have links to those on the show notes and on the website as well. So people can click and start listening and start uh, getting some of those questions answered for themselves. Again, this has been a, a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate it. Colin, thank you very much for for having me on and and glad I could uh, provide some insight on retirement. Thank you. Have you gotten started in your retirement planning? Do you even know what your goals are? Because that is the very first thing that we need to do, like Josh and I talked about, setting those goals and understanding what is this money going to be used for. When we put a purpose behind it, we are better able to commit to that for the long term and better able to partner with somebody to communicate what our goals and what our dreams and our hopes are for the future and down the line and stick to it when times get hard. I know it can be kind of silly to think about what this and big numbers can scare us. 
But the best thing that you can do right now is to get started if you haven't. And if you have, maybe take a second or third look based on the plan that you have today. Make sure that not only are you investing properly, but you have the protections through insurance and other things to make sure that you are covered in those events. As a small business owner, there are a lot of things on your plate, but we can retire in this business and in this industry. It is possible. What it takes is planning and understanding the powers of small numbers and a lot of time. Setting aside 50 or $100 a month is a great way to get started and start flexing those muscles so that when your business grows, you can put away more money and it becomes used to it. It becomes a habit because you're focused and you have that purpose driving you at every step of the way. We want to thank our sponsors, Timed Pet and Pet Perennials for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you so much for listening. It means an awful lot that you listen every week and we will hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll be back again soon.